So this morning, uh, for, for the sermon, we're going to focus on this last verse here that Jesus says, the time has come, he said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. We're going to ask this question and begin to answer it. What does it mean to repent and believe considering the nearness of the kingdom of God? Uh, I'd like to share a story with you to start with. I got, I get these emails sometimes uh, about my my artwork uh, from from a web from my website where I have my artwork listed, and they're and they're uh, uh, what's the word? They're um, what's the word, Matt? Um, they're like they're fake. E- they're not fake emails, but they're 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 scams. They're scammings. They're scams, and uh, so they. They say like, oh, and they use like broken English to sound like they're from another country. And they're like, we're really re- interested in your artwork. Please send us more information, you know. And it and it, if you've never received one before, you could get really excited as an artist. Like, oh, this person's interested in my artwork. They want to buy several pieces. And it's this scam where they get you to send information and they act like they sent you more money. And in the end, they end up robbing you uh, of, of several thousand dollars usually. And I got one of these, and I was so angry because artists are already some of the poorest people, and they are trying, they're putting their heart and their soul out into the world on a canvas or, or in, in, a, in a sculpture, and they're believing that if they, if they follow this passion, it'll, it'll help them make a way uh, in the world and that they'll get to inspire and share something uh, with other people. And, and these folks are scamming those people. Like it's not not GameStop, uh, you know, kind of Wall Street scamming. You're scamming like already really poor people that are pouring their heart and their soul out into their work. So I responded to this this scammer because they read the emails because they have to know how to respond back. And I said, um, "You uh, need to repent. You need to repent, and the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's not too late for you to." to change your ways and, and live a different life. And, uh, and I, I signed off. I thought I was actually, I actually showed, uh, the staff here when that happened, it was a few years ago. I showed a few folks the, the email that I sent back and I felt like this fiery, you know, prophetic thing inside of me when I did it. Cause it, it made me so mad. And the reason why I share that story is one, cause I thought it was kind of funny. And two, because it gets to the heart of, of, what I want us to be able to unpack today, which is what is it, what is meant by the words repent and believe and good news and this idea that the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, so, you know, typically when we think about repent, we have such a specific uh, and, and even reductive meaning of the word so that when we hear it, we almost tune out because it's like, oh, we know this. We know what the, the pastor is about to, to talk about, but we really need to dust this word off and re-examine uh, what, did, what was Jesus actually talking about, because this is pretty important. This is like his leading message in the Gospels, is repent and believe in the kingdom of God. That's, that's what he's saying throughout, throughout the Gospels, and so we shouldn't rush by this and say, oh yeah, I know what those words mean, I know what, I know what repent means. And, and here's the thing, um, 
when I think of repent and the way that I've heard it mostly used is to feel sorry for something that you've done wrong, to feel sorry, ask God for forgiveness, to repent. And um, surely there are uses of that word, especially in the Old Testament. I'm going to be talking about language a little bit, but I promise you it's going to get real personal and and really relatable to our lives. But but this word it, it it's used often to feel sorry for in the Hebrew language in the Old Testament, but that's not the language of the New Testament here. And the word has a very different meaning even so much that there's different translations and different words at play uh, when it, when we switch languages here. So um, I want to share with you, uh, the, the meaning of the Greek word repent that Jesus is using here and a little bit of the context around it. It's really going to be helpful for us to think about this message that Jesus is, is sharing, the core message that he's leading out with, that he's talking about the good news of the gospel uh, through this language here. So I'm going to share uh, some, some notes from a, uh, a theologian named Gregory Rogers and uh, from he wrote this in the Journal of, of Psychology in, in Theology. So the word, the Greek word for repentance that Jesus is using here is uh, metanaio. 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 And it means, at face value, it means a change of mind. But not just to change your mind, but a change in the trend and the action of the whole inner nature, the intellectual, affectional, and moral content of a person. This meaning of metanoia is like a transmutation of consciousness. And so it's much more than the classical Greek that just means it's like a change of mind, like I was going to go uh, to the store and I decided um, that I'll get... I'll go to Stacy's house and get the eggs instead, right? Um, but through the use of how Jesus used it, how the New Testament used it, it came to mean this expression of a mighty change in, in mind, heart, and life brought about by the Spirit of God. So what you don't hear in there is actually the idea that uh, there's sorrow or regret contained in this word that has been translated repentance or repent. Um, it's not sorrow for what one has done that Jesus is talking about here, which is a more accurate translation of the word repent. The word Jesus is using, metanaio, metanaio, is, is more of changing of your mind, changing of the intellectual and heart of a person. Some theologians who specialize in translation have called turning this word that means change your mind into repentance a linguistic and theological tragedy. A theological tragedy. Just think about John the Baptist. John the Baptist called people to repentance and when he did, they asked him, so what should I do? So he would tell them, well, if you have two cloaks, share one with the one who has none. If you're a soldier, treat people that are under 
uh, you in hierarchy, treat them fairly. He, he was telling them how to live a different type of life with a different value system. He was telling them, change your mind, change your disposition to the world. And this is, this is back uh, even in ancient church fathers. Uh, uh, Tertullian, famous ancient church father, protested this translation of the Greek word metanoia uh, into this Latin word that again gave confession of sin or feeling sorry uh, prominence instead of the idea of a change of mind, a change of heart, a change of the whole person. And this is clear when we go back to the Hebrew uh, of the same idea. It's a word called shuv, and it means to return or to turn back. And that's a very different idea than just to feel sorry for something or to have contrition. So even just to make it clear, like in Genesis, in the story of Noah and the ark, Noah sends out a dove to see if it'll find somewhere to land. And it says, uh, it couldn't, in, in Genesis 8, 9, the dove couldn't find anywhere to perch. So it returned to Noah and the ark. And that return to shuv is the same idea, to turn back. And that's the same word that's used to signify what we confuse with repentance. So we have this idea here that Jesus is talking about is change your mind, turn around. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of God has come near. Change your mind, turn around, and believe in the good news. Why is this important? Why did I take the time to break that down? Uh, why talk about this word right now in the Sharknado of 2021 uh, during Lent? Uh, here's why. Here's why. This is so important and so relevant to us right now. If Jesus is, is calling us to repent in the sense of just to feel sorry for the wrong that we've committed, and, and we take that to be the gospel that he's sharing, to understand the gospel to be just feel sorry and be forgiven by Jesus, then the kingdom of heaven doesn't, doesn't really mean a lot. The kingdom of God doesn't have something to, to, to look towards, and he's sitting here saying it's near, but this gospel idea of repentance, just to feel sorry for what you've done wrong so you can be forgiven by Jesus, and then you can wait to go to heaven— that doesn't fit with this message that Jesus is sharing. He's saying, change your mind right now. The kingdom of heaven is near. Turn. Turn to a different way. And that's what we're going to see Jesus doing as we follow in his footsteps over Lent. We're going to see how he is showing that through his actions, his thoughts, his words, and deeds. So the, then the question is this. If we're changing our minds— if we're turning away from something, what are we turning towards? What are we changing our minds about? So to do that, we go back to this sentence. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. It's really interesting when we think about this 
this phrase, good news, these two words, um, and Jesus saying it's at hand, it's near, it's so near right now, it's in the presence of what Jesus is doing, but he's saying you have to believe in it. That's really interesting. Maybe if, you know, a lot of times you, you know the phrase like, uh, I, I'll believe it when I see it. But here's the thing about this good news that Jesus is bringing. He's saying you actually, you have to believe in it, which means it's not self-evident at first glance. You're not just going to stumble upon it. Uh, you see, in, in terms of faith, we believe in order to see, not the other way around. You don't believe it when you see it in terms of faith in this kingdom of God, but it's something you believe in in order to be able to to see it. So just like metanoia, the, the idea of changing your mind, repentance, has been infused with religious meaning over time, uh, the same thing is true of this word uh, good news. And in the Greek, it's euangelion, good news, good tidings. Jesus has commandeered this word. He's co-opted it because uh, the, the way the, the people of his time would have understood it would have been mainly through Roman political and spiritual rule over them. That the good news, the evangelious or evangelical message uh, in English would have meant, hey, good news, um, there's this new ruler that's seceding the old one that's going to be in charge of you and is going to continue to, um, to continue the same rule and authority, whether or not you like it or not. It's good news that this person is going to be ruling over you. And Jesus is saying, hey, I've got good news. He is, in a sense, saying, you need, I'm giving you the chance, the opportunity to believe that there's a new king that there's a new ruler. And, you know, that's, that's why it was so confusing to the people who were following Jesus. They thought at some point this guy was going to take over. He was going to take charge and put the, the Jewish culture and way of life uh, on a physical throne, enforce it through violence like every other kingdom ever had done, and it be an us-versus-them thing again. And so... Jesus is saying, this kingdom is near. You have to change your mind. You have to turn around so that you can then believe in its presence, its nearness right here in your midst, in the same world that you're seeing without somebody who's on your side taking over and conquering the people who you feel or who are actually oppressing you. Jesus is changing the script. Literally, he's he's writing new meaning into these words that were meant to evoke oppression. Right. He's he's writing meaning into the reality of the way that we tend to see things as oppressed and oppressor of suspicion and paranoia, where hate of one group over another group reigns. He's revealing through this kingdom of God, something that was there all along, but we have not had the faith to see it, 
to help bring it even more near in our lives. So here's where it gets real. Here's where it gets real, folks. Here's where it comes to us. People repent all the time in both senses that we've talked about. Feel sorry for what they've done wrong, but even uh, they change their minds. Change their minds all the time. What does it mean, though, to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm changing my mind about the way that I see the world and interact with the world. What does it mean to say that, but then to believe? But then to say, I'm giving up my ability to see these things correctly, to see them the way they are in their truest form, the kingdom of God's form, and to believe in this nearness of the kingdom of God. A kingdom that's more expansive. It's not an us versus them. It's where flesh and blood's not the enemy. We fight against spiritual powers, as Paul says, where life is, is an everlasting thing, where, where God loves all human beings without qualification of ethnicity, race, uh, gender, uh, or, or where they sit in a social uh, or economic hierarchy of, of what their political leanings are, that God loves humans without qualification. This is the, the, the kingdom of God that Jesus proclaims. Uh, a kingdom of God is, is a kingdom where you love your enemy. This is Jesus's words. It, it, the kingdom of God is one that's revealed in the lilies of the field, as Jesus says. Look at the lilies of the field, as he's instructing his disciples. Look at the birds of the air, or as the psalmist ponders and talks about the stars and the revelation of God in our environment, in our world around us. So when we think about changing our mind, when we think about turning, we, we can start to become aware of how little our faith, our belief is in, in, in the God-ordered, love-soaked kingdom. It's become uh, what's become this, this small idea of repentance uh, can begin to, to coalesce with a, a changing of our mind. Hey, And sure, we'll feel sorrow as we look back and regret at our small-mindedness, as we look back and see all the ways we have not been able to believe in the workings of the kingdom of God, the idea that there is a, another kind of rule taking place around us. The, uh, the, 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 uh, the word that originates from the English word gospel is called Godspell, or it's, it's Godspell, that's the word. It's an Anglo-Saxon word, and it means literally good story. And this Lenten season, this is what, this is our challenge. This is the challenge we see in the words of Jesus. It's to change our minds about the stories we believe and the direction that those stories take us in life, the choices that those stories lead us to, the stories that we have not questioned about ourselves and about others, about the planet that we live on, so that we can make imperfect choices, but choices that reflect the view of how Jesus of Nazareth sees the world through the kingdom of God, the way he took great pains to show us through the life and ministry that he lived. A new story to change our minds about the things we've assumed about other people, 
about ourselves, about the worth of human beings, about the importance of the environment that we live in. We're in the midst of all of those things telling us, wake up. This weather, it's not normal. We're in a, a pandemic that's raged through our country because of political ideologies and our inability to come together as a country, our inability to make smart choices about who is in charge. We're uh, not even a year away from a hot sweltering summer of racial protest over the fact that black lives still don't matter as much as white lives in our country. We're in the middle of a reckoning that we need to be able to say, we need a change of mind. We need a bigger belief in what's happening in the world around us. And Jesus is offering that to us. The, um, the writer and theologian Barbara A. Holmes, she, she wrote this incredible book called Race and the Cosmos. And in this book, she, she is making connections between modern science, mathematics, and how what we're learning about the universe and the cosmos is part of what's reorienting uh, our understanding with fits and starts of how we view human beings, how we view each other. That there's actually not like this uh, hierarchy of, of good people of a certain kind at the top and those people serve all the, the, the everybody who's not that cert kind of serves everybody else, this kind of hierarchical system, this smaller universe, but this connected, interrelated cosmos. And that that reflects this, this in a sense, this kingdom of God uh, where, where things are more than what they seem, not less, that there's more complexity and more unity. There's more things to change our mind about, to turn around, to see and to believe in that is good than not. And she says this about this idea of getting a, a better story, this idea of the good news, a good story being told. She says about writing this book, Rice in the Cosmos, that it was, quote, actually my own transformation and awakening. As I considered it, the truth of the matter was that we were living with an old story, and a new story needed to be told, but we didn't have the language for it. So in order to get to that point, and here's where my transformation begins, I had to reconsider what I thought about people because I had hardened my view of others and who they were and what they meant. I had spent my time raising two little African-American boys who had to be taught how to survive in society. In doing that, I taught them to view the world in only one way. And I myself was hardened into a position that either you were with me or you were against me or us. All of that had to change. I had to begin to think of us as spiritual beings having a, having a human experience and not bodily embodied folks without spirit or soul. That's a very limited view of humankind. And I wanted to expand the story. She's talking about changing her mind. She's talking about believing in a bigger, more beautiful and complex cosmos and world, the kingdom of God. Jesus commandeers this language. She said we needed new language for it. And Jesus was 
reorienting the language of the day. This idea of good news is not about an emperor coming to conquer, but about a man, a carpenter, walking around, and he's conquering hearts. He's reorienting language. He's seeking to heal those who are broken, both physically and otherwise. He is saying this kingdom of heaven is nearer to you than you could actually ever have understood before. He's saying, just as he said to the disciples in the garden, wake up. So as we close, we need to ask ourselves, just like the words in MLK Jr.'s last sermon before he was assassinated said, uh, how do we remain awake during a great revolution? There's a revolution happening, and it's not with Christian nationalism. It's not denying election results. It's not an us versus them in the political realm. It is a grander narrative, something that is good news to share, that this is God's kingdom, that there are things, beautiful things at work in and among our midst that we need to wake up to, we need to change our minds to, we need to turn around from our small thinking and believe in the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word and thank you for Jesus. We, um, we pray that you would, you would be with us as we attempt to change our minds and see a bigger picture, uh, even in this crazy world we're living in right at this moment. In Jesus' name, amen.